This episode of the podcast is brought to you by everyone who has supported those local businesses and brands that they believe in. Anybody who has screenshotted something on the website, reposted and tagged them, anybody who's commented and engaged in the comments, whatever it is to show love, the most important thing in time is so much uncontrollable right now. What the president does, the governor or mayors or local officials or rules or laws, whatever. Those are all things that are outside your control at the moment. What is in your control is how you react and show love to those local businesses and brands to keep them afloat. Nothing is more inspiring than when people come together and lift each other up, no matter what they believe, to get through a tough situation. So this episode of the podcast is brought to you by you. All right. My guest today is Kevin Dowling, rollerblader. He's been a very influential and in, in all those sort of things, but it's a, really a cool story. And I love to share these things and talk to people like this that have followed their passions and just like do the thing that they love the whole time, no matter what the situation or what it looks like. And eventually you either meet somebody or down the line, it leads to creating a talent that leads you into what you were supposed to do in life. Like it just keeps that happiness rolling. It seems to be a theme and a pattern and nothing is different than with Kevin. Rollerblading led him to meet somebody that ended up finding his dream vocation and doing what he loves to do. And he still does, you know, his little hobby, even though he's getting older in life and it keeps him young. So it's just a lot of tidbits in there. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I really did. Thank you, Kevin, for being on. So please enjoy Kevin Dowling. Okay, we're recording. Hi there. Kevin, thanks for being on, man. Oh, of course, man. Also, I told Hunter Grimm that I would, he had a beer on my podcast, so here it is. Happy birthday, Hunter. There it is. There's the beer for you, buddy. Damn, Hunter, I don't have a beer, but I would love to, to have a, a beer for your birthday at some point. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I like obviously curious about a bunch of stuff we talked about it beforehand your stuff but um when did you start like get into rollerblading wow um so my parents went on a trip to california in the early 90s and i was in fifth grade and they brought back from california a pair of leather uh like a leather shelled inline skate wasn't a branded thing it was somebody was selling them on Venice Beach and they just thought it was something I would enjoy but honestly I brought them to skate night at my elementary school and nobody had ever seen inline skates before so they I got made fun of super bad to the point where I took my skates off and put quads back on so since I was in fifth grade basically like I you know a year later it was like groundswell of skate sales and marketing and all this and all that stuff started happening so yeah, pretty much from the, the onset of rollerblading, I was connected to it in some way, skating through my neighborhood, whatever, and that just turned into grinding the bike rail in my neighborhood or the jumping off curbs, all that stuff, and it just continued on. And then just so disclaimer, before this, I went back and watched some of VG19, obviously, <laughs> And it brought back so many crazy memories for me because I'm like the baggy pants, but man – it was such an awesome time. Oh yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was the, the glory days you know, the golden years for, for me, I know other people have their, their periods of time that they reflect on, but 
that was a, uh, I mean, I grew up watching VGs and admiring a lot of skaters that were um, part of the industry at that point. So for Dave to come in and Tom Heiser and Andy Cruz to like give my whole crew their blessing and like put us in that conversation was, it was amazing. <laughs> so. It's kind of weird, like in such a niche little like sports, cause I notice this in like everything. So I, I do CrossFit stuff for fitness and stuff. And inside that little community, these people get like uber famous inside that community. That's yeah. kind of the way it was like Tom Heiser and Arlo and all of them. Like nobody outside of rollerblading has any clue who that person is. Like they can just walk around, but in rollerblading, it's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this person is, is here right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's, that's the cool part of our culture for sure is that we like celebrate. It could be like the best skater or somebody that's just funny or just has an attractive personality in general. Like we, I don't know. I don't know. It's like they naturally establish themselves as, I don't know, role players in the industry. You know? Well, how did, you, how did you get like the little interviewing role there in that VG19 where you're like hosting it or whatever? How did that all come about? I mean, it was Tom and Andy and Frankie Lascavio hyped me up to everybody. Like that was like part of the thing that they would do for all the skate pile riders. And uh, they introduced me to Dave Payne, and we hung out, partied a lot. Um, and I went on a, a skate tour with Skate Pile um, that ended up linking up with Dave Payne for one of his tours. It's called the FID Tour. And on the tour, um, me and Dave just had, like, comedy, just jokes the entire time. And uh, we would talk. There was two vans, and we would talk on walkie-talkie from van to van. And nobody in my van wanted to talk except for me. So I would just joke around and like do redneck accent or just like crack jokes and talk shit. And um, I don't know, like, I guess Dave kind of just came up with the concept on that trip. And uh, when we got back to Atlanta from, we were coming from Dallas from an ASA stop. And when we got back to Atlanta, he just took me in the back of the skate pile warehouse and mic'd me up and told me to just crack jokes like I had been doing in the van. And it wasn't until after we recorded most of it that I, I kind of started figuring it out. Like when he would ask me about specific people and cities, and <laughs> I was like kind of knew what was happening, but I tried to play it cool. And then afterwards he was like, yeah, I'm going to use you for the segues of VG19. You're going to host the video. And I was like, what? That's so cool. Like, and I don't know. It was amazing. <laughs> How old were you? How old were you? I think I was 19 or 18 years old it was it was amazing but there was also like fallout like I instantly became somebody that people thought I was an idiot or didn't like the hosting thing and they would talk like trash about me or like they really thought it was great and would like embrace me when I was around so. that's so true <laughs> that something so small like that is like people like you can get trashed over something like that yeah there was people that like hated me like because you know there was like message boards and all that stuff back then and like i would read through it and sometimes people like i hate that why is that kid hosting the video he's such a fucking idiot blah, blah, blah. and it was just like damn <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what they've asked to do you know like i don't know dude if you're 19 like i always like it, a lot of things seem a lot easier than they are until you do them like you think oh i could do comedy that's no problem like a lot of that guy does a stand up and talk like no it's super hard i can 
you know, whatever it is. I thought I could video edit. Like, oh, that's easy. These guys can't. I was, that's so hard. Like, I mean, I can, but it takes a lot of work to do that. And you're like hosting this, not even knowing you're hosting it at 19. Like what it's a lot of people couldn't do it. If you told them like, Hey, we're going to do this. Here we go. Camera on. And then they're going to come talk crap on the internet about it. Yeah. I think that's like, there's a comfort level being in front of the camera because we're always filming each other skate. So, you know, there's always that like B-roll footage of people like, interacting with their environment or the other people skating and just felt like that you know I think I always have felt like since I've like started my current profession like I know that just being around and in front of cameras could help a lot of uh, skaters transition into acting it's my my opinion like I, I really do feel like like how bold and um, comfortable skaters are with taking risks and being in front of camera equipment that they could be naturally swept into the acting roles. Well, what is it that you currently do right now exactly? So I'm a location manager and a location scout for the film industry. I find and secure locations based on scripts. So I'll read through a script. I'll get a script ahead of, I'm one of the first people on on a show I'll get a script. I'll break down what the important locations are. Um, you gauge, like, you work with an art director or a production designer and a director um, to kind of hone in on what their aesthetic preferences are and who they think these characters would be and where they would live. And you just try to unravel or try to help them hone in on their vision for the project. So, Yeah. I break down scripts and I find cool locations. And then if the director and designers fall in love with it, I have to go and negotiate with the property owners, um, a rate to film, handle our insurance, hire police officers and work with local officials to make sure everything's on the up and up. Um, I manage a department of up to 15 people that do the same thing. I just delegate kind of the big picture stuff to all of them. And it's fun, man. (laughs) Really, do you, do you stay on set while the movie's going on, or do you like answer any questions or have any issues come up and make sure everything runs smoother? Or once you get done setting all that stuff up, you turn it over to somebody else. So I, I I used to be on set more often. So in my department, like the department has the location manager, and then you have somebody that's called a location coordinator, and the coordinator is in charge of basically all the permitting, um, getting the insurance filed completing the contracts with the producers. Um, and then below that you have a key assistant location manager. Um, and that person generally runs the department. Um, and underneath the key assistant, you have assistant location managers and they tend to be the ones that are on set um, throughout the day to handle the, the problems that come up. If there's a big enough problem, I might have to go back to set. Like, I'll, I'll generally open up a new set. Like, if it's a location we'll be at for three or four days, I'll be there on day one to make sure that all of our, all of the things that production has asked for are taken care of and delivered. And then I have to rely on my department to make sure that throughout the process, all of those things are taken care of. So, And then I jump to the next location. I'm meeting with the next city that we'll be in or gas station we've rented or bar that we're going to be at and 
you know, I work out all the details and then take those details and delegate them to the department. Did you, oh, like, what led you into that job? Like, did you do rollerblading professionally or did you have a job while you were doing that? And then what transitioned you out of that sex, that, that portion of your life at 19 into this role? Oh, I worked for my family's business for about eight years. Um, and I ran a day support. I developed a day support program for adults with um, disabilities. Um, so it was, it was like a social program. We would do uh, basic living skills, learning how to count money, simple budgeting, also do fun stuff like exercise and uh, Special Olympics. Um, and since I helped build that department, I ended up becoming a manager um, and moving up within my family's company. And I don't know if you've ever worked with family or know anybody that works with family, but it becomes really, really challenging on occasion. And uh, the business started to have a bigger role in my relationship with my family than my family did. So I moved on. I went back to college and studied photography. Um, kept skating through all this. And um, through photography, I had some opportunities um, to travel and produce content. And on a trip to New York City, I was staying with Ray Mendez. Um, and at the time, he was actually a location manager. Um, he had been doing it for a few years. And he called me. Um, he, he was off working on a movie set. And I was staying at his house. And he called me and asked me if I could take pictures of his house, like immediately, like take these pictures and send them to me. I want to pitch it to this director as a location for this project. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, and he explained to me, he was like, yeah, I'm a location manager. So I scout too. And I find locations and pitch them to directors or brands. And if they like it, they come and shoot and they'll compensate for the use of the space. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. So I like shot the photos and sent them to him and, we had a long conversation when he got home. He just kind of broke down the entire, like what location scouting was. And what he basically told me is he needed to know every inch of New York city better than anybody else. So if a director or designer or producers had something very specific that they wanted to film, that he would know where it is. And I think through just skating in Atlanta, filming in Atlanta and searching for skate spots, it just felt so perfect for me. Like I knew that I could do that job really, really well because I obsess over finding good skate spots, or at least back then I did. And I just, I know that I know the city of Atlanta better than 99% of the people that live here. I just do. Um, and so I got back from New York, um, like a couple months later, I was skating with my friend Thomas Lodato and there was his, he had a buddy named George Zelasco that had just, like moved to Atlanta and he started skating again. And so we were skating and he told me that he worked for um, a company putting together camera packages for film companies. So like when the movies come to Atlanta, there's a rental house that they rent all these cameras and lenses from. Um, and I was just like kind of jokingly like, Hey, well listen, like if you ever hear of anybody that needs a location scout, like I know the city better than anybody, you should definitely like plug me in with them. And I just, it was just like in passing, like kind of like joking around. And then it was like a month later, I got a call from a, a key assistant location manager that had interned at the warehouse, the 
um, equipment warehouse that he worked at that went into locations and was looking for a location scout, got me an interview <laughs> the next day. I was working overnight, um, like a transitional phase. I was working overnight unloading uh, trucks at Whole Foods. And I got the phone call like early in the morning, just come back from work, like still awake. And uh, I got the, the, he set up the interview for the next day. I called out of work the next day to take the interview. And uh, this guy, Andrew Ullman, he's from Philadelphia, worked on Heat, all the M. Night Shyamalan films. Like he's done a lot of really amazing projects. So we sat at a coffee shop for like an hour and a half. Um, He had a graffiti background and he kind of grew up in the streets of Philadelphia. So like we could relate on just like street sensibilities. Um, And he he told me that he was going to hire me, but he he told me I can hire you, but you can't start for two weeks. Um, And I said, you know what? I'm just going to ride around with you for these two weeks. I quit my job at Whole Foods and just jumped in the car with him for two weeks. And he trained me like on the ground, how to scout. Um, And that was for a movie called triple nine. And it was, I ended up finding, it was my first film that I worked on. And I found probably 40% of the locations like it was a real grimy crop, uh, cop thriller. So, and uh, they were just looking for all the, like the, you know, typical shady cop film locations, empty warehouses and strip clubs and broke down apartment complexes and places where you could do a nefarious meeting about, you know, whatever it was. So I just knew all that stuff like the back of my hand. And uh, yeah, that was <laughs> life changing to say the least. To it just kind of, it like happened, but I mean, you just went with it. And that's what, that's one thing that I find a lot, like when people follow their own path or something that they love to do, like whenever they love to do something and they're not afraid to just be like, say yes and go with that, whatever direction. Like you said, it wasn't working out with your family, um, which I, I grew up in a family business. Um, and my dad and I worked great together. Now, that being said, we also are very much like boss employee and then separate that when we get home. If you can't do that, which the rest of my family has, you know, one other brother can do it, but then the rest of the family has a hard time separating and not taking that personal, you know, when my dad has to tell me something, but I can, it can get so heated and it takes a special person and a special relationship for you to work with your family. Yeah. My stuff. Yeah. My oldest sister is still there. She's a, a vice president of the company. She's my, my, it's my mother's company and she's her right hand and it works. You know what I mean? And now I have a great relationship with my family, like business is flourishing. I'm doing well. So it, it all worked out, but it was definitely intense when, uh, when that transition happened. <laughs> but to be able to say that to your family, like, Hey, the, uh, I'm going to go do, you know, my own thing. And then when you were talking about the scouting stuff, that, that like, I always tell my wife now, I'm like, I, we, we look at the world, like anybody who does that sort of thing, skateboarders, bike riders, whatever, you look at the world differently. So it's like your playground, like you see things in a different, like, like, what can I do in that spot? How can I make this one tie into that one? What else is there? After? Like you start seeing the little nuances inside the city or the town or the spot, like you. And then you train your mind and it just like, you pick up on it. You see it like I'll, to this day, I'll be driving by and I'll see like a glimpse of a rail or some stairs or whatever. And I'll, 
Yeah. Like you know, take a double take and then like, look, uh, that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it kind of like your job. I wonder if that does the same thing with your movies. So like you go and scout and when you watch a movie, do you look at it through the lens of scouting locations sometimes? I judge. I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, I take pride in what I do and I obsess over finding the right thing. And uh, I, I work with people that are the, the same way. But, you know, it's, yes, it's, the, it's mentally it's the same process of finding skate spots or like that same excitement when you're like, when you do see something that you think could work for the, the film, like you have that same like reaction where you're like, oh my God, this is so perfect for that character. Whereas in skating, you'd be like, oh my God, my friend David would destroy that rail. Like it's that same, it's the same reaction. You get just as excited. And yeah, you're actually like uh, legally usually allowed to film at these places rather than just bombarding it with your friends and doing whatever you want. So it's that part, it's, the, it's more legitimate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that you make a very good point. Um, yeah. <laughs> make oh. a very good nobody's getting permits to make VG nineteen. No, no. We're definitely like breaking and entering and destroying property and but like you said, like our appreciation and the way that we like romanticize architecture and enjoy architecture and interact with our environment is like we do it because we're we love it. You know what I mean? We we love we see the world as a playground and we're playing in that space and we're lucky to do that, to still have that as like grown men to be able to like get excited about something so simple. <laughs> I really think it keeps you like young. I still act like a little kid. I mean, I don't rollerblade near to the extent I stopped for a long time, picked it back up. Um, and now I have park, whatever, um, hitting a few street spots every now and then, but it it's something that I just love. Like I could, and right now, back then I would have been totally like, I can't get some big wheels on because that's just like, that's fitness skating. I'm hardcore, you know? And then this is like in the mid nineties, I guess. And, uh, and now I'm like, man, how dumb was I like promoting this better? It changed my mindset on a lot of things. So not just in skating, but with anything that I love or anything that I do, it's like, you look at it, it's, it's good to have those things because it builds up the sport that you love. Like the more people that are in it, if more aggressive skaters back then had promoted more fitness blading, it would have stayed big and huge and relevant the whole time. Uh, yeah, I completely am horribly guilty of like that, that judgment towards other types of skating. And it's all the same basic idea. You have wheels on your feet. It's, great way to go have fun um yeah fitness skating man it's an absolute pleasure it's it's like the simplest version of what we do and it's really healthy <laughs> like uh, you know there's people that say it's as almost as healthy as swimming like i started fitness skating again like i've fitness skated on and off for the last couple of years and i can't jog like my knees um i tried to start jogging at the beginning of the pandemic and my knees swole up like the size of a softball um i was overweight so that was probably played into it but for me to be able to like go fitness skate and do a 10 mile skate through the city and do something i enjoy doing that also has less impact on my joints was i don't know it like helped me catapult and like move forward physically 
And that's, that's something I never would have done back then. You know, like I would have been like, I'm not skating 80 millimeter or hundred mil wheels. Like that's silly. Like I wouldn't do that. You know, now I'm like, give me the biggest wheels and the tightest shorts and I'm out, dude. Like, <laughs> yes, it's so true. But I mean, you still, you can go so fast. Like the, I, uh, this is another thing. Like I always learn things and point to moments in my life. I used to make fun of mountain bikers all the time. I rode BMX when I was younger and then even through rollerblading, he's like, oh, those dudes are just riding mountain bikes. I've never done it before. Down in mountain biking, I'm like, those guys, are, that, that's for all the people who couldn't ride BMX. They just went that route. And yeah. then I did it once on a very small scale. I did a downhill track, like real life. And I was like, I'm lucky to be alive. Those people are insane. I had a new respect for that new sport. So like when you do it, you realize like, oh man, these big wheels, you can go super fast. You have fun. Like you said, I'm all about people being active, especially now. People need to be healthy. They need to stay in shape. And if you can just like roll, like you can roll around and have a great time and get your mind off of all the madness that's in the world and have some fun. Yeah, that's, that's all it is, man. It's like moving meditation. It's so, so rhythmic. I don't know. I'm still figuring out fitness skating. Like I'm like getting into it like heavily right now. Um, and I'm trying to like push myself to get better at it and understand the product better, find out what kind of product it is that I need to do what I want to do for my body. Like it's, and there's a, a lot of really amazing, well thought out and designed products. It's better than anything that's existed prior to now. You think but, you can find locations? Do you ever like, cruise around and find locations like oh that might be a good spot for this type of movie or this over here yeah for sure man like i was uh there's a trail called the michelle obama trail it's just south of my house it's like six miles away um and i started skating that a few years back and there was like this really crazy old dilapidated uh, building like halfway through the trail kind of in the middle of nowhere and um uh, I scouted for Zombieland 2 and I, I like, there was this scene where they're all like huddled up and they're like trying to escape and there's zombies everywhere what, whatever and it needed to be this overgrown dilapidated looks like it's been you know off post-apocalyptic for like 10 plus years and this place is perfect and I I knew of it through skating so I've I've actually scouted on skates before too. Like if I'm scouting in the city and I need to move around quickly, I don't do it often, but like if you're just getting streetscapes, like I have to do, so when we do driving work, um, the way that we do our photo review with the director, we'll, we'll do a video um, driving through the city or a highway or whatever it is, but it's illegal to hold your phone when you're driving now. So occasionally if I really want to get like a, if I'm trying to, show the director like the perfect street and I know that I can't do that in a car like I'll roll through the segment of the city that I think works for the project <laughs> I don't ever tell them that I'm on skates I just show it to them I, none of them have ever asked me like how I'm filming it but yeah sometimes I do that <laughs> that's awesome I just figured it would work really good like you, you know because inside cities and stuff like that it can be madness trying to drive around and look and find places or you know, you walk around. I'm just curious as to, like, do you travel around the country or do you just stay in the Atlanta area? I've, so I, I actually have been able to travel um, around the country 
I was in Chicago for eight months on a project called Lovecraft Country that actually comes out, I think, August 24th on HBO. Um, and that was two years ago that we were filming the pilot in Chicago. Um, actually, like when I got to Chicago, <clears throat> I linked up with uh, Matt Luda, who is a huge, like, just he loves the city of Chicago. He understands its history, its architecture. Um, and I met with him on a Saturday and just, he drove me around and showed me like the basic tour of how the city of Chicago was set up, what the North side looked like, what the South side was like, the West side, downtown. So having access to other people that obsess over their cities, like benefited me greatly. Cause I, I had, uh, you know, I'd never been to Chicago and I had a better understanding of Chicago than some of the other people that traveled there would have had because I had access to locals that were as obsessed as I am with Atlanta. So do you, you like, so you get to see different parts of like people and their cultures and what they do and where they go on, on a regular basis. Do you find that to being like one of the best educational things that you've come across? Yeah, man. I think that, you know, if you get caught up in like the news and you choose a side and you have preconceived notion of what people are like in rural Illinois or downtown Atlanta. Um, you let um, outside forces dictate that. It's, I don't know, it can like destroy your empathy and compassion in ways. So I feel extremely lucky that I get to go into so many different types of communities um, and talk directly with people. Like if I see a house that works for a project, I don't, I don't care where it is or what neighborhood I'm in or whatever that, that looks like. I'm just trying to get access to that house. So if the right house, it doesn't matter where it is, I'm going to knock on the door and I'm going to have a good conversation with that person. And I find <laughs> that in general, no matter where you're at, people are extremely friendly nice and just want the same thing and to have that access that face-to-face it's really it's awesome but it's frustrating to know that so many people don't go outside of their bubble and they don't try to interact with people that they see as different than them Uh, but yeah that education and understanding that I've developed over the last few years of just society and communities in general has been awesome I think that's one of the biggest like things with this whole situation we have going on here you said pick a side I feel the exact same way like don't pick sides like just look at everything the way it is and have some empathy towards people and their situation but the we're social beings like we want to be in a pack we want to hang out with each other and like you said the face-to-face means so much it means a ton to me like just to be able to go interact with people but for people who haven't traveled and stay in their own bubble now it's even worse because now they're forced to stay even more inside of a bubble and then listen to what anybody's projecting out there on the news. And it's, it's, it can be maddening. People are going to start to go crazy. Absolutely, man. It's uh, yeah, you gotta, you have to turn that stuff off every once in a while and remind yourself that, you know, you're still breathing and that's a good place to start. <laughs> Are you still working through all this stuff, like scout, like scouting locations and things, or are they kind of at a standstill? 
No, we're at a complete standstill. There's maybe 10 projects on earth right now happening. Big ones. Um, I was supposed to start today, actually, on a project that I was on when the national emergency was declared. Um, As soon as that happened, all of the major film unions and studios shut down production. And now we're slowly... Each one of those unions that represents each one of the major departments are coming to agreements and working with some of the best and brightest when it comes to the, um, epidemiology and safety and different protocols that can be put in place to keep us safe because we do work in confined spaces. Um, but we're getting there. there there's, I should be on this show in the next two weeks, and we're going to be working with uh, the same company that um, helped the Princess Cruise Liner uh, get back out of the port in Japan. Um, And they're going through each one of our locations. They'll monitor what we're doing. We'll have guidelines from each one of the unions that we'll have to fall um, under. And we'll just have to move a little slower and be more considerate of our, our fellow workers and just do the best we can, you know, it's like big, it's a huge industry and it's such like a important industry for this country. Like that's our major export is entertainment and we're not making entertainment right now. And like, everybody's just like watching and consuming so much of the product that we make and we're not making any new product. So I don't know. I feel like we can do it safely. We're going to, they're not going to, they will not make shows unless it can be done in a way that everyone's comfortable with. And um, I'm really excited to be a part of that process and try to meet that challenge. Um, I actually interviewed like seven people today uh, on Zoom, like putting this department together. And it's, uh, I'm just chomping at the bit, man. I love my job and I love the process. So for me to sit around for the last four and a half months has been been hard <laughs> like I just want to it's just something so fun about that process and collaborating with so many different people that have so many different visions that like come together to make these incredible television series and, and movies that we make you know it's fun and you feel like a, I mean you're a part of it like that's one thing I'm like oh man my kids are getting so stoked I looked at your IMDB on there and it's like it says Spider-Man on top now I'm not a big comic book person but I'm like, oh, they're going to be completely stoked. Like, I'm talking to a guy that was involved with Spy- all these cool movies. Like, I went through the whole list of, of things. I'm like, man, he's worked on a lot of really cool projects. Like, that's got to feel somewhat, like, rewarding to know, like, even if you're behind the scenes, like, hey, I was kind of a part of that film. I found that location. I did this. I worked on this. It's amazing, man. It, it does, like, give you a sense of pride. It, my family, especially with Spider-Man, like, my nieces and nephews and my son, we're like super pumped on that. You know what I mean? Like we stayed after the movie and we saw your name, uncle Bubba. Like, that was so cool. I can't believe it. Like well, for me, it was cool. Like we're not, like Spider-Man is just it's any Marvel's filmed a lot of projects in Atlanta and Spider-Man is the only one that I was a part of. Um, but being on those sets with like the budgets, the size that they are and the expectations that, production has to deliver things that are what you think is impossible to deliver 
<laughs> um, it's cool. And then you see like the people come in their costumes and you're just like, you know how much joy like people get from that series and from those characters. So like when you see it, it's special, man. Like I remember we were, <laughs> we were on Spider-Man and we had a schedule change and schedule changes are really difficult because especially on a project that big, if we're shutting down an entire city block, you have hundreds of tenants, you have business owners that you have to coordinate with and compensate and signs that have to change and buses that have to be rerouted. It's a big deal. If somebody's like, you have 10 days to get this ready. And then they're like, Oh, just kidding. You have two. So we had a big, this big schedule change on like probably the bu- busiest street in Atlanta. Um, we didn't have enough time to work with our uh, department of transportation to get the MARTA buses rerouted. And so every two and a half minutes, there's a scene where um, Spider-Man like hanging and he like steals his bike. Like this dude had stolen a bike and Spider-Man comes down, like yanks the bike from him. Um, but we were hanging him from a wire. So <laughs> every like two and a half minutes, there was a, an entire bus of 40 people that would like get off the bus right there like right where spider-man's hanging there's cameras rolling there's like picture cars everywhere and debris and like it's dressed as new york city um it was hilarious like because we were supposed to control it's like everything's like under wraps you know like you can't let anybody see the new spider-man costume it's supposed to be completely controlled like airtight environment and because of that schedule change we we just couldn't help but have 40 new people every two and a half minutes getting off the bus like phones up filming the new thing it was just but it was cool because like it's i love it when the public gets to see the process you know like those people like that made their day like they like saw spider-man like they went home and they're like we saw spider-man like that's awesome like for it to be in atlanta um like it is it's been crazy man like it's there's more production happening in atlanta than anywhere on earth for the last couple years like it's a massive industry like ninety thousand jobs that are like important jobs on production like all those names that you see at the end of the movie those are people that like bust their asses to make sure that it's a quality product so for (laughs) i don't know it's just that yeah part of the of filmmaking engaging with like Atlanta and being in the city is so so fun man I I bet it's fun I bet it's fun like being in the city the whole time and then watching like your I guess that's where you're from right pretty much born in Miami but I grew up in Atlanta yeah yeah so like that's if that's where you call roots you got like pride about where you live because that's everywhere I mean you got pride where you're from that's it's got to be cool to see an industry such so big like entertainment because, I mean, they're, they're movie stars. That's why they're movie stars for a reason. They entertain us. You know, it's like sports athletes. I'm, I'm, I love sports. And you yeah, see man. one of those, you're like, oh, I'm so impressed with what they do. They're, they're famous. And so to have an industry like that grow in your hometown has to feel pretty cool. And to be a part of it at the same time. That's great. They like, it like got here and – just like anybody that was like creative, positive, hardworking, they just like plucked everyone out. And they're continuing to do that. Like they, the opportunity is incredible, man. Like it's a lot of people move to LA and like struggle like for years to try to get on. And it just came here and kind of like landed in creative Atlanta's lap. 
<laughs> what do you what do you think they do? Because I had heard that before that like not only the entertainment, music, all this sort of stuff is like moving Georgia in general is just like busting with at the seams with all these people. What do you think they do differently to keep them there or to attract them in? So the tax incentive is probably the biggest uh, thing. We have a no cap on our tax incentive and the rebate is up to 35%. So 35 cents on the dollar that they spend in Georgia um, is giving back to production. It's a, it's a huge tax incentive. Um, it was actually our former governor um, set this up and it's been crazy, like how much bigger it got than he thought it would. Um, And then there's just a lot of really hardworking people that appreciate the opportunity. The cost of living is much lower than the other production hubs. So crew can move here. If you're like a mid-level crew person, you can afford a house. Like you can have a dependable car. You can put your kids in a decent school system. Um, It's, so it's, it's attracted, at first it was just people would come here and work and they would like complain about it the whole time. And over the years, you've just had like producers and actors and grips, electric, deep, like all these people have just started to, to move here. Um, the work's always here. They always end up traveling here anyways. And there's still a lot of people, like Hollywood's always going to be Hollywood. But I don't know. There's a lot of really talented people that have been, put on some of the biggest projects on earth over the last uh, seven or eight years <laughs> that are now some of the best in the business. So you have an extremely skilled, excited workforce, um, a great tax incentive. People love the food here. Like we have a really great, like culturally Atlanta has a lot to offer. So it's like on the weekends, like you can have a really, really great time and you can have a really special meal at a great space with like wonderful people. And, you know, Atlanta's Atlanta. Like you have like the whole, like the rap industry is amazing. Our sports are fun, but depressing. (laughs) It's got a lot to offer and it's really inexpensive. As long as that tax incentive stays in place. Well, so even now, like, if the tax incentive were, was to lessen, there's, like, more stage space in Atlanta than anywhere other than L.A. or, like, England. Um, we've got all the equipment, the, the trucks, the trailers. Like, there's local companies now here that are established that do a really good job, and they're very competitive, um, and their workforce is great. So the infrastructure over the last eight years has been expanded exponentially. Like there's massive, massive studios that are the newest, most advanced studios on earth. Like Tyler Perry studios is overwhelmingly um, perfect. Like when you take, like I've toured Tyler Perry with a couple different producers and directors at this point, it's amazing like the the reaction on their they're like man this is like this is the new standard for what a studio should feel like and what a backlot should be like it's we have really great facilities uh it's it's really amazing 
I'm anxious to see um, where it goes. We're always kind of at risk. Our the politics of the state leaders don't necessarily align with the politics of Hollywood all the time. It's the way business it's put in place to draw business to the state so somebody can come with a compelling enough argument that that incentive could draw business in a different industry like then it destabilizes us but i just the state loves it the people love it like it's it's been a really successful um, program that was put in place by this guy nathan deal he killed it man like he used to come to the premieres like, he would just visit random sets. Like, the governor of the state of Georgia would, like, show up and, like, advocate for us. Like, and he would, like, have our backs and, like, pitch Hollywood on the workforce and the, the crew here, you know? It was, it was really cool. Like, he built something special, man. <laughs> for sure. For sure. It doesn't sound like it'll probably stop either because once that money starts rolling in, they're going to want to keep it. And then that's, like, the, the – I don't understand the in and outs of the – incentive but you can there's like tax credit you can buy the tax credits so if you're really wealthy you can i don't know there's some way that you can like benefit off your taxes if you like buy the incentives or whatever it is so there's a lot of people like the true kathy the chick-fil-a family they own one of the bigger studios in georgia like there's the big southern money players are involved too so it's i don't know (laughs) It would well, be less. <laughs> I mean, you are, I think you're correct totally on the food, especially like my wife grew up, uh, like she lived uh, just outside Atlanta growing up for a little while. And we passed through there on this long trip. So we don't buy gifts. We take trips. We went from New York and we hit all the cool spots. So like for my first time in New York, it was awesome. Like New York city totally like over exceeded my expectation. And then you come down and like, Philadelphia is so cool, way cooler than I thought it would be. Um, then you have DC. We spent some time there, and then we hit Atlanta, right? Oh. And I really like. We had a lot of fun in Atlanta. That's a cool place. Like we hung out at the park there, and we played, and we ate some of the food. And it was just like, it. I never really. You never really think of it. Like I think of the Braves because I always watched all the Braves games, and so. I was a fan of their team and their pitching staff and the whole rotate, all, the whole thing growing up, kind of like the Cubs, like, you know, I'm an Astros fan. You can watch them during the day. So it was cool. And then uh, obviously Spud Webb and Dominic Wilkins were awesome. So being a short guy, I'm like, yes, this is yeah. cool. Um, but never really think of Atlanta outside of like those two things. Like when you're outside of it, you never really go, Oh yeah, Atlanta. That's a place I want to go. That's why it's so curious. Movies wanted to move there, but then you go there. There is a lot of culture, and you are right. The food is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You can't beat Southern breakfast, man. Like that was one thing. Like when I traveled to Chicago, like Chicago's got this. Like you know, everybody loves Chicago's dining scene, and uh, I was able to go to a lot of the greatest or some of the better restaurants in Chicago, and they were good. You know dinner but if you tried to have breakfast it was like I, I couldn't find biscuits and that was so troubling to me like every time I'd have breakfast they'd give me toast and I was like I, 
I need a biscuit, man. Like, for, like one of the first things I did when I got back south was had biscuit. Like, immediately went to this place called Eight Arm and had a biscuit because you just can't beat Southern breakfast, man. There's something special about it. You know, you take your time, and talk with your loved ones, and enjoy a nice breakfast. There, dude, there's something special for sure. My grandma was like, she was born in Louisiana, and they're both like, both my grandparents are from the South. He's from, my grandpa's from Arkansas. I mean, we grew up on Southern breakfast. It, it, there's nothing like, it is different. Finding breakfast spots is hard. I love the beach. I grew up close to a beach, yeah. but they don't believe in waking up before 10, usually. Yeah. Most spots, like you'll have a couple places where you can actually go and get something. But like normally, uh, a lot of places outside the South, I don't know why that is. Culturally, I guess it's different. I'll say probably the best breakfast spot I ever had was in Massachusetts. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't know what, like, my wife found it somehow. We drove up there on our trip to Connecticut. We drove up to Massachusetts to have breakfast at this special spot. And it did not, that place was awesome. Right on there. <laughs> but anyway, so, like, you've bounced around all this stuff. You've, like you've kind of made so like your skating stuff as a kid growing up from fifth grade on you meet all these different people like think about all the different people that you've met and you've come across and then that's how you end up getting this basically finding your way into this job you love right now yeah it's crazy man it's unreal like i never would have thought when i was in seventh grade painting my k2 fatties that it would and uh, have my nephew tell me he was excited about me being on Spider-Man credits. <laughs> um, but it did. Yeah, because all you're thinking about is being with your friends, having a good time, and it's something that you, like, love to do. You're yeah, following yeah. it around. Yeah, it's, like, it's still fun. It's, like, the people that I've met through skating, even if you know, they don't skate anymore, if I'm not skating currently, like, I can always, there's just that little part of, those people that I'll always relate to and have that shared interest with. And it's, it's something so silly and fun and childish, but it's, I, I don't know. I think that's like why we appreciate each other is because I don't know. We, we've seen that part of ourselves and, and seen that in each other. So it's like, we can, we'll always have that relationship. Dude, it's like, I talking. it's like, I feel very comfortable talking with you. We, we don't have like a, a storied history, like, but I'm completely comfortable. Like, I, I know that you understand that we both understand and appreciate that weird part of our lives. <laughs> well, there's something super vulnerable about, like, I think about, I think about weird things all the time, but there's something like super vulnerable about like going up and attempting a, the simplest of tricks on a rail. Yeah. Like, yeah, in front of your friends. You're, I mean, the chances of you failing are much higher, especially the first couple of times, you know, no matter what it is. You, and then you're going to up the game. You're going to try a different trick on it. You're going to want to try switching tricks. You're going to want to up the game every single time. But there's something vulnerable about attempting it and failing in front of, like, with people that creates this bond together. So, like, you created this bond. This guy's in New York and he's like, Hey, go by and take a picture of my house. You're like, yeah, cool. Okay, cool. And then you end up on the movies, but like that bond is what things like that. Like I wish more people would stick with them. I wish I had stuck with it longer. 
I guess that's why I hope more people do the same thing like you did is that you stick with it long enough and you follow like your path long enough. Good things seem to work out for you. Yeah, absolutely. Man. It's, I, I don't know. Man. It's, I've, I met my wife through skating. My son is a product of that relationship. Some of my best friends that I still talk to every day, if I'm going through something heavy or people that I grew up skating with, like, I just, I appreciate what it, all of the things it's given me. And I feel this weird sense of responsibility to practice it or participate in it in some way, just to, to show appreciation to the skate gods, if you will, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want them to see that I stops, starts taking my blessings away. <laughs> It's ve- man, I can tell you, like, it was one of the happiest days. Like, I, I didn't, I did not skate for, I think it was like 18 years, 17, 18 years. Didn't even put a pair of blades on at all. Uh, ended up getting back into it because of Angie, Andy Jacuzzi. I met him randomly at a wedding of a friend of mine, which is so weird. That had nothing to do with rollerblading. But anyway, I ended up getting back in. What, what's that? Really rad rollerblader to randomly run into. He's- Incredible. Yeah, no joke. I, I like, I didn't know who he was. And he told me like, Hey, I'm pulling a little bit. He, like, we just hit it off. We were talking at the same table. Kind of like I was, we just hit it off. We were talking and just hanging out. Like, oh, this guy's cool, man. And uh, he was letting my son fly his drone, this expensive drone. I was like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, he's kind of young flying your expensive piece of equipment. Not go for it, dude. Yeah. That's what he was like. Nah, it's cool. Uh, but anyway, I got back. It's like probably that's one of in my life at all times, whether I'm doing it a lot or a little bit. It's something that was such a big part of it's something I love so much that even if I didn't stick with it, I know like, you know, and I went a different path. I don't have any regrets. I can come back and I can still roll around and I can still share it with my kids and take them to the skate park and I can share it with other people. On this point, even though I'm almost, I'm gonna be 40, and I'm like, that's okay. We'll pick it up again. Let's go. And that you you talked about like it keeping you young earlier. Um, it does, man. Like you, you don't look like when we were growing up. A 40 year old didn't look like we look. Like I'm turning, I'm gonna turn 38 in September. I don't feel like a 38 year old that my younger self would have identified as a 38 year old. I don't feel like a 38 year old. Like, I feel pretty good on skates, man. Like I was getting pretty out of shape. Um, but over the last few months, I've like quickly gotten my balance back, my stability, my strength. And I feel good. Like, I feel like I, if I like take care of my body, I could feel even better. Like, and that's, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, my dad didn't do anything crazy like this when he was 40, <laughs> you know? No, nope. we're, we're we're fortunate to be a part of a generation that um, hasn't allowed ourselves to stop having fun, or you know, trying being adventurous. Yeah, you, you can grow up and still have fun at the same time. Yeah, man, that's a weird old like that the thing that our parents' generation did when they it seemed like they stopped having fun. Maybe that was just our perception of things, but it definitely seemed like it seems like our generation is doing a better job of just staying young at heart and 
continuing to enjoy our, our physical abilities. I agree, man. I agree. Well, Kevin, thanks a bunch for being on. Um, I guess, do you have anything you want to promote? I mean, your skate videos are awesome. If anybody hasn't, you can let them know where to go find out your YouTube channel and all that. But um, they're cool. I watched the the rollerblading ones through there. I'm like, this is awesome. He's just rollerblading through a park, but it's something so cool about showing people the different trails and what they can do. Yeah, I'm definitely, like, there's something that I want to do with content moving forward with my YouTube. I'm not sure what that is, but I'm, like, part of those videos is me figuring out what that is and what I do want to make. I bought a new camera. Like, I'm, I'm I, want, I don't know what I'm doing, but I do, like, plan on making my YouTube uh, content more often, so. It's just youtube.com slash Kevin Dowling. Instagram is also Kevin Dowling. I got super lucky and got both of those early in the game. Um, but yeah, that's like where most of my current goings on are posted. Cool, man. Cool. Well, thanks again for being on. I really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much to Kevin for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Had a blast. Don't forget. Go support those local businesses and brands that you believe in, whatever you can do. And until the next episode, see ya.